Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone, this is uh, Kennard speaking. I'm your host for uh, the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is September 10th, 2011, one day uh, before the anniversary of uh, one of the most tragic events to happen to any country, let alone the United States. And it just shows you that uh, ever since uh, 2001, we have entered a a very, very um, serious time for this country and for the world, morally and ethically and financially. Right now, of course, we are going through uh, tremendous financial problems. And the title of this Bible study is uh, Giving Charity. But before I get into that, as I always do, I will talk about um, significant world events that are happening uh, in the United States and around the world. I wanted to quote uh, a little bit from this article that I found off the Internet and it's by Christine Lagarde, the Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. And the title of the article is World Entering Dangerous New Phase. It was published uh, September 9, 2011, by Catherine Boyle, and she's a staff writer for CNBC.com. Anyway, Christine Lagarde, the Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund, warned that the global economy is entering a dangerous new phase on Friday ahead of the G7 summit in Marseilles, France. Now, the G7, what that, st- that acronym stands for, are the seven most financially sound countries in the world. Anyway, she warned that both advanced and emerging economies face key economic or economic challenges and that governments must act now to stop the further uh, catastrophe. says policymakers should stand ready as needed to take more action to support the recovery, including 
through unconventional measures. It says the world is collectively suffering from a crisis of confidence in the face of deteriorating economic outlook and rising concerns about the health of sovereigns and banks. So, uh, that is an authority there. Uh, she's the head or the managing director of the International Monetary Fund, and she's stating that uh, we have reached a dangerous phase, not only in the United States, but worldwide. Now, also that's in the news, well, it's in the news, but it's not really being focused on too much because people don't really focus too much on the Middle East. Uh, I'm talking about collectively worldwide. But anyway, the United Nations, they stated through their leader that the recognition of a Palestinian state is, is far overdue. And I just want to quote from Ban Ki-moon, that is the um, the leader of the United Nations. He's called the United Nations Secretary General. That's his uh, title. Ban Ki-moon. And it says right here, uh, UN Secretary General, Palestinian statehood is long overdue. And this is by Haaretz.com, H-A-A-R-E-T-Z.com. It's a uh, Jewish website. It says, Ban Kaimun says, supports two-state solution for Middle East peace, adding that it was up to UN members whether or not to recognize an independent Palestinian state. I'm going to read a little bit of this. It says, the Palestinian people are long overdue in their quest for an independent state, United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon said on Friday, ahead of a Palestinian push for statehood in the UN plan for later this month. Ban's comments came a day after Palestinian activists launched a campaign for the recognition of a Palestinian state and the United States. The move contradicts earlier reports that the Palestinian Authority was the one who issued the request. So, uh, this is significant. Well, let me just uh, jump down here and say, state this. As speaking on Friday, the U.N. chief was quoted by the French news agency AFP as saying he fully supported Palestinian statehood, the two-state vision where Israel and Palestinians can live side by side in peace and security. That is still a valid vision, and I fully support it. And I support also the statehood of Palestinians, an independent sovereign state of Palestine. It has been long overdue, Ban told reporters in Canberra, adding that a recognition of a state is something to be determined by the member states. Ban stressed the point further, saying, according to AFP, that it, that it was not a decision to be made by the Secretary General, so I leave it to the member states to decide to recognize or not to recognize. So that's what's going on here uh, in, in this month. I think it's around the 20th and the 22nd. Uh, they are going to vote to recognize the Palestinian state a Palestinian state. And, of course, the Palestinians, they want the possession of land that, that um, they had prior to the 1967 borders. And, of course, Israel doesn't want that because they would not, they would be giving up the old city of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, and, and other uh, places that, that is obviously, according to the, the Bible, uh, the Jews' territory, not the Palestinians'. So that's what's going on, and I'm going to quote you a few scriptures here uh, in, in light of the Jerusalem situation. So we, we must be aware of what's going on here. And I'm just going to 
see, uh, quoting Joe. Chapter uh, 3, starting in verse 1 to 2. Uh, quote this in the English Standard Bible Version. It says, For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. So this is telling us that it will be divided. In verse 3, it states, And have cast lots for my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, and have drunk it. So this is going to happen in the future, folks. And God prophesied in the book of Judges. And this is a prophecy because it's still going on to this day. Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into a land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my agreement or covenant with you. And you shall make no agreement with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now, I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides. And boy, have the Palestinians throughout history, uh, the Arabs throughout history, have become thorns in the Jews' sides. And their God shall be a snare to you. And, you know, they have their own mosque and so forth. And it is a snare to the Jewish people. So that's a prophecy. And then Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him, which proves we have a spirit in us. Verse 2, Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah, or the Jews. Verse 3, On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. That's really what's occurring here in September. Uh, all the nations will be against Jerusalem because they're going to divide Jerusalem, or they want to divide Jerusalem, the majority of them anyway. All right, and in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3. says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, and that's right across from the Temple Mount, the disciples came to him privately saying, what happened? Hello? Oh, thought uh, I got hung up on here. Anyway, uh, I am Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered him, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet for nation, or I should say families. Families will raise, uh, rise against families, or people will raise or fight against people, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. 
Verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness, another version says Torahlessness, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But in other words, people don't care about each other um, like they should in this end time. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The end of this world, and then, of course, it's really talking about the latter end as talked about in First Corinthians chapter 15, when he gives the kingdom, uh, Yeshua will be giving the kingdom back to his father, and that definitely is the end. Uh, the gospel would have been preached around the world for over a thousand years. And then after that, the kingdom is going to be given back to God the Father because he gave all the power and authority to Yeshua, and Yeshua is going to give it right back to him, and he's going to be ruling over Yeshua and everyone else. So anyway, Matthew 24, verse 15 says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, for those who don't understand uh, temple architecture, uh, the holy place is the place where the priests uh, do their preparation uh, to, to give sacrifices, the, the place where they, they really prepare to do their, their job, the holy place. And then you have the holy of holies where the high priest enters once a year during the Day of Atonement of Yom Kippur. And... Um, he sprinkles blood upon the mercy seat, and then he goes out and he sprinkles blood upon the people. And that symbolizes wiping sin out, out of our lives. So anyway, verse 16, then let those who are in Judea, getting back to the holy place, it's going to be some statue or something in the holy place that's going to make it an abomination. And that will cause desolation. That's what that's referring to. And verse 16, in the book of Maccabees, which is in Scripture, but is interpretation of Scripture, commentary, I suggest you read it, and it's also history. And it kind of explains you in a little more detail what the abomination of desolation is. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes is, was a type of the anti-Messiah, and what he did was he had a statue of Zeus near the holy place, and then he also sacrifice pigs on an on the altar. So that was an abomination of desolation. Anyway, verse 16 of Matthew 24, Then let those who are in Judea, which is the West Bank today, flee to the mountains. Let those who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. So that's the reason why you have to prepare as I'm speaking here. Don't wait until... If you're still alive, you see all these things because it's too late to prepare. You're going to have to just get, if you're in Judea, go to the mountains. Uh, if you're not in Judea, uh, common sense says you go to the mountains or the wilderness or where you're at. And you need to, to find where the safest place is at. Now, um, I suggest you get this book called Strategic Relocation. Just Google it, and it will show you where the safest location is to where you live at. So you can prepare, so when the time comes, you can flee to that location. So anyway, uh, 
verse 17, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Verse 18, let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days. So this this is really not the time, folks, to to have babies. You know, things are really getting bad now. I mean, truly getting bad. Uh, for the INF uh, managing director that says we, we're entering a dangerous phase uh, financially here, that <laughs> you need to, to really pay attention to that. Verse 20 of Matthew chapter 24, Pray that your flight may not be in the winter on or on a Shabbat or Sabbath, which proves that the Sabbath day is being kept by um, believers of God today. Verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, never, ever will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. That's an excellent translation from the English Standard Version of the Bible. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That's the good news. Other headlines in the news. We've had the worst flooding in the Northeast in over four, in 40 years. And we've had the hottest summer in the United States in 75 years. Obama gave his what he calls, um, what is it, America's Job Act or something. And just after studying it and so forth, it's not going to really stimulate the economy as it should. And as I've stated before in this program, there's 25 million people right now that are either uh, unemployed or underemployed. And I just read in the news that this his Job Act is only going to, uh, generate one million jobs. Well, we need more than that. So it's not going to really solve the problem of uh, tremendous unemployment in this country. And the reason why I talk about the United States so much, we, we are the leader of the world. So whatever goes to the United States, everyone else follows us and they try to copy us in, in our example. So anyway, let's turn to Revelation 11. Many many people confuse Revelation 11, verse 1 to 3. Well, some organizations, uh, and one in particular that me and my wife used to attend to, uh, attend to, or attend at, rather. Uh, Zechariah 14 uh, is talking about two completely different events there. And Zechariah 14 is talking about uh, Jerusalem, half of, half of the city being taken over. And if you look at that and compare it with other scriptures, it's talking about the time when God is gathering all the nations to, to fight at Jerusalem. It's talking about the day of the Lord. It's not talking about what's happening here in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Now I'm going to do a Bible study on that because people, some people are confused by that. Revelation 11, starting in verse 1, says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Some people say this is talking about the spiritual church. It's not. It's talking about a literal temple. Verse 2, But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. People that don't understand the Bible, they'll read into this scripture and say, Oh, that, that means half of Jerusalem is being taken over. Well, did it say half of Jews and being taken over? No. It's saying that measure the court outside the temple, leave that out for it is given over to the nations. Okay? Uh, it's talking about the temple, a part of the temple being given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, does it say anything about 
the city being separated in that verse? No. You know, and, and, and it says, I will give authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Now, if you go back to a companion scripture of this event, uh, let me see. I think it's in Matthew. Oh, Luke. Okay. He says in Luke 21, verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the, until the times that the Gentiles are fulfilled. This looks to me like it's a total ransack or, or of Jerusalem that's going to occur, not half the city being taken over. It looks like the whole city will be <laughs> taken over according to what is said here. You know, but but uh yeah, and this this should match up with Revelation eleven verse two when it says, Do not measure the court outside the temple, leave that Alfred is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city, the entire city, for forty two months. It's not talking about half the city. So we you know, again, we yeah, I guess it's understanding English structure or something, I don't know what it is, but you you can't Put your own thoughts into a scripture. When you do that, you just don't understand it. And then when you look at the, yeah, we might as well talk about this now because this is important. When you go to Zechariah chapter 14, okay, verse 1, the English Standard Version Bible, because me and my wife, we were brainwashed into thinking that, oh, Revelation 11 verse 1 and 2 is talking about half the city taking over. It's not talking about that. Revelation uh, I mean, Zechariah 14, verse 1, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. So in other words, this is the day of the Lord's setting. So we understand the context. This is the day of the Lord. When the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Okay, so he's going to gather all the nations of the world. That's what it says. To battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half the city shall go into exile. That's when the division begins. Okay, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. Now, there's one organization that's saying, okay, well, there's a gap between verse 2 and 3. Do you see a gap between 2 and 3, a gap of time? Okay, so we have to, to, to understand the Bible and take it literally, folks, and we can't put our own thoughts into the Scriptures. When we start to do that, again, that's when we start to not understand what it's saying. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. All right? Zechariah 14, verse 2, is talking about, there's one book that uh, by David Barron that I recommend you get. It's called, uh, I think it is, I forgot the name of it. But he actually does a very good job of interpreting correctly and biblically the whole book of Zechariah. He states that the book, uh, the chapter 12 and 13, uh, it talks about what happens in Zechariah 14. It, go, it goes into detail about what, what goes on. And if you read, starting in, in, in chapter 12 to 13, you'll see that. All right. But anyway, Zechariah 12, verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him, which prove we have a spirit in us. Verse 2, Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering for all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem and what was just talked about in Zechariah 14, 
will also be against Judah, which is the Jews. Verse 3, on that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples, and, and all who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. Okay? So that's what Zechariah 14 is talking about. It's talking about that time uh, when all the nations will be against it. And, and when you go to um, Joel, too. Joel fits into this picture as well. Joel... Starting in verse 1, this is talking about the same event here. Verse 1, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, verse 2, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land, and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. So this is talking about the same thing that's going on in Zechariah chapter 12 to 14. The same event. Obviously, before Christ comes back, there's going to be some monkey business going on, and they're going to take half of Jerusalem at that time. Not at what other people are talking about. It's not. It can't be proven biblically. Revelation chapter 16. Starting in verse 13. Well, actually, let's start. Uh, this is the uh, sixth trumpet sounding. And the sixth trumpet sounding is the, really the preparation of what's going to occur in Zechariah 12 to 14 and in Joel chapter 3, as I just read you. All right? Uh, Revelation 16, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, which is located in the area of Iraq. And his water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east, east of the Euphrates. Verse 13, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Verse 14, For they are demonic spirits, excuse me, demonic spirits, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And in verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Verse 16, And they assembled them at the place that in the Hebrews called Armageddon. All right? This same event, again, is talked about in the book of Joel. If we go back to Joel, chapter 3 talks about this gathering here that is revealed in Revelation chapter 16, 12 to 15. So go to Joel chapter 3. And then starting in verse 4, I read to you in the beginning uh, that he was upset because they're dividing Jerusalem, as they are going to do. Same events talked about in Zechariah 14. And in verse 4, What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia, or Palestine today? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. Okay? Now, and then it also says, You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. 
Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the Gentiles. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Okay? Now, this is interesting. Hold your place here and turn to Isaiah. Now, remember the, the phrase where it says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Okay? And you turn to Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days, 21st century, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, that's the temple mount, and shall be lifted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord at the temple mount, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah, or the law, the instructions of God, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4. Now he shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war so obviously he came and did what he stopped all this and and uh, you go back to Joel again chapter 3 He says, verse 10, beat your plowshares in the, the total opposite of what happened. So he's telling them, he's taunting them here, telling them to beat your plowshares in the swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm, I'm a warrior. So obviously this is talking about the event where all the, the, the world's armies are going to be gathered against Jerusalem and against God himself. Or Yahweh, and then in verse 11, Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. And verse 13, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go and thread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. And then verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon are darkened, and the stars will draw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earthquake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And, and or, or a, mer a merchant. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream breads of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and, a, and the water from the valley of Shittim. Yes, Shittim, that's what it says. Verse 19 of Joel, chapter 3. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever in Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So this is, I hope this is obvious. I broke it down to help you to understand when the 
uh, dividing of Jerusalem as far as triggering the return of the Messiah is going to happen. Now, we we know that the Palestinian state more than likely perhaps will be formed very soon here based on uh, the United Nations uh, lobbying for it and also the Palestinians taking advantage of that lobbying. Uh, but once that happens, that doesn't mean the tribulation has begun, folks. Uh, what, what has to happen is the the temple uh, rituals have to be reinstituted. And for that to happen, there at, least, there at least needs to be an altar. But the Bible prophecies reveal that there will be a temple built. Uh, if you go to templeinstitute.org, it's already being planned. They already have the the uh, the draft for it and everything. They, they just need to go ahead from the government of Israel to do it. But throughout history, Israel has nearly, I mean, Jews have really, I would say mankind, really aren't motivated to do what God tells them to do completely unless a tragic event happens. And that tragic event, according to Yeshua's words, is going to be a war. It's going to be a war to occur before the abomination of desolation, which means that there's going to be a war that occurs before the uh, the temple being rebuilt again so the sacrifices can be offered. On the altar. Okay, so I have 26 minutes left. Let me see if I could um, get to the, the theme of this Bible study here. And it's about charity. And it's about uh, something that, I mean, scripturally, uh, people aren't doing enough. And let me just summarize the the um, Bible study here, um, courtesy of uh, Chabad.org. Uh, this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 10, to Deuteronomy 25, verse 19. Seventy-four of the Torah's 613 commandments, mitzvah, that's mitzvah in, in, in Hebrew, that means commandment, are in the Parsha of Ketazara. Parsha means the uh, section of Scripture to be studied. These include the laws of the beautiful captive, the inheritance rights of the firstborn, the wayward and rebellious son, the law of the beautiful captive, uh, back then and still today, the law applies if Yeshua was back and his society was living differently. But anyway, uh, they were allowed to marry, if she desired, um, A uh, Israeli soldier was uh, allowed to marry um, a woman of any type of race. You know that as long as she complied to it, as long as she uh, obeyed the Torah, so that that law is in there. And it says the inheritance rights of the firstborn, uh, the wayward of the rebellious son, burial and dignity of the dead, returning a lost object, sending away the mother bird before taking her young, which is a, an act of compassion, the duty to erect a safety fence around the roof of one's home, and the various forms of kalayim or forbidden plant and animal hybrids. Also, recounted are the judicial procedures and penalties for adultery, for the rape of seduction or seduction of an unmarried girl. Uh, that law in particular, if you're going around fornicating or having sex before marriage, then you are required to, to marry that woman if the father approves of it. The following cannot marry a person of Jewish lineage, a bastard. A bastard uh, is someone that doesn't have any parents. A male of a 
Moabite or Ammonite descent, a first or second generation Edomite or Egyptian. Our Parsha also includes laws governing the purity of the military camp, the prohibition against turning in an escaped slave, the duty to pay a worker on time and to allow anyone working for you, man or animal, to eat on the job, the proper treatment of a debtor and the prohibition against charging interest on a loan, the laws of divorce from which are also derived many of the laws of marriage, the penalty of 39 lashes for transgression of a Torah prohibition. Literally, yes, uh, some people got 39 lashes for violation of, of, of Torah. And the procedures for, and these are adults, uh, yipam, liberate marriage of the wife of a deceased childless brother or removing the shoe in the case that the brother-in-law does not wish to marry her. So those are all good laws here, and it says Ki Titzi, which is the um, name of the Parsha, concludes with the obligation to remember what Amalek did to you on the road on your way out of Egypt. All right, so that's the summary of that. Please, when you get a chance, read that. There's some really good material there. And I'm going to read to Hatar the prophet section here, the summary. Uh, courtesy of Chabad.org, uh, Isaiah 54, verse 1 to 10. This week's Hatorah is the fifth of a series of seven Hatorah of cons- Consolation. These seven Hatorah commence on Shabbat following Chishabah, which is the celebration of the destruction, not celebration, but the remembrance of the destruction of the, uh, of the temples back in 586 B.C. and also 70 A.D. And continue on to Rosh Hashanah, which is another name for the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Teror. Forsaken Jerusalem is likened to a barren woman devoid of children. God enjoins her to rejoice, for the, for the time will soon come when the Jewish nation will return and proliferate, repopulating Israel's once desolate cities. The prophet assures the Jewish people that God has not forsaken them, although he has momentarily hid his countenance from them. He will gather them from their exiles with great mercy. The Hator compares the final redemption to the pact God made with Noah. Just as God promised to never bring a flood over the entire earth, so too he will never again be angry at uh, Israel. For the mountains may move and the hills might collapse, but my kindness shall not depart from you, neither shall the covenant or agreement of my peace collapse. So that's good news. God is, uh, he will adhere to his promises. The question is, will we adhere to ours? That's, that's the question. Okay. So we have how much time here? Uh, Twenty-one minutes. Okay, did good there. All right. Now let's let's focus on uh, a little bit about what charity is about. Charity, Hebraically, means tzedakah. It means give charity, having mercy and compassion, and giving charity because of it. And um, just wanted to read something here out of this excellent book, Gateway to Tor, by Rabbi Russell Resnick. It says, uh, this discussion as we read, this is on page, uh, what page is this on? Page 211 of this book. It says, this discussion as we read in the previous Parsha began with the words, Zedek, Zedek, Tidolf. Righteousness, righteousness, you shall pursue. 
because I, you know, I had a Bible study about righteousness last week, which is defined in the Bible as keeping the commandments. If you look at Psalm 119, verse 172. It says, the first word is repeated for emphasis, but the sages teach us that each word also has its own distinct meaning. Perhaps Torah repeats the word righteousness to show that we must be righteous toward God and righteous toward man. We must pursue right ritual and right ethics. And so many people, all religions, they so much into the rituals and so forth, and that's great. But you, you have to have the right type of feelings and emotions into the rituals. You have to care about people while you're doing the rituals. If you're not doing that, God's not going to be very impressed by the rituals. So you, you have to do both. And then on page 212 of this book, it says that God himself enforces this linkage between his character and our behavior. Moses tells the Israelites that if they practice righteousness toward the needy, Adonai, or the Lord, will bless you in all the work of your hands. Conversely, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 11, warns Israel that if they oppress the poor man, he will cry out to Adonai against you, and Adonai will hear. Likewise, to your brother, you may not charge interest. And boy, we sin in this country when it comes to that, right? Credit cards got interest. All loans got interest. You know, it's ridiculous. We're violating that law horribly. And, and it says, likewise, to your brother, may not to your brother, you may not charge interest. That Adonai, your God, may bless you in all to which you set your hand. And you shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure that. Your days may be lengthened in the land which Adonai, your God, is giving you. And then God steps in the midst of our secular concerns to show secular means outside of religion, uh, that among the redeemed there are no strictly secular concerns. All that we do reflects God's character, and God will reward behavior that reflects him accurately. So getting back here, it says, Jewish tradition recognizes uh, this truth, and its use of the word zedakah, the feminine form of the word zedek or righteousness. Zedakah, at least since the time of the Mishnah, the Mishnah was the um, the uh, written down oral traditions of the Jews uh, of the nation of Israel. It refers to giving to the needy, to what we call in English charity. As I learned as a child in Shabbat school, however, zedakah involves more than charity. Rather, it is a religious obligation, a religious obligation to help restore the ideal order among humanity, to recognize in action the inherent dignity of all human beings. Torah could have allowed the farmer to harvest his entire crop, but then practice charity by handling out a portion to the poor. Instead, it preserves the dignity of the stranger, orphan, and widow by granting them a share of the field. The gleanings belong to them. Further, Torah reminds... Tor reminds the farmer that he was once vulnerable and poor as well. He must not take his current prosperity for granted, but recognize that it is a gift from God to be shared with the community. Such a teaching has vast social ramifications. This is on page 213. We can begin to apply it, though, within the intimate society of our congregations. We are a redeemed people. Our life together as a people should mirror that redemption. As in ancient Israel, there may still be unequal distribution of resources, but there is to be no oppressor among us, no one hoarding goods when others are in need. The resources of the congregation, the scriptures, the public worship, whatever facilities it may possess, belong to all. Those who are powerful are to use their position to lift up those who are vulnerable. In his New Covenant letter, 
Yaakov, or James, <clears throat> reminds us that the redeemed community reflects a unique standard. It says, For if a man comes into your synagogue with gold rings and fine apparel, and there also comes in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? That's in James 2, verses 2 to 5. The God, or Yahweh, we serve is concerned not only with proper ritual. He steps into the midst of our social arrangement to establish an order reflecting his redemption and justice. He demands that we not hoard his great act of redemption for ourselves, but disperse it among the needy. And that's very important to understand. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 27. says the religious observance, and this, this is in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake, the religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. That is pure, or that is uh, the religion that God wants us to observe based on the Torah. And let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter nine. Starting in verse six. Here's the point. He who plants sparingly also harvests sparingly. So Second Corinthians chapter nine verse six in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Verse 7, each should give according to what he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a chill for givers. So you shouldn't be compelled to give. You should give because you want to. And in verse 8, moreover, God has the power to provide you with every gracious gift in abundance so that always in every way, where am I at here? I skipped something here. Verse 8, of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Moreover, God has the power to provide you with every gracious gift in abundance, so that always in every way you will have all you need yourselves and be able to provide abundantly for every good cause. As the Tanakh says, He gave generously to the poor. His Zedakah lasts forever. Charity lasts forever. Verse 10. He who provides both seed for the planter and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your Zedakah. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in everything. This is because you give. God's going to bless you more to give to other people. And through us, your generosity will cause people to thank God. In verse 12, because rendering this holy service not only provides for, for the needs of God's people, but it also overflows in the many things people will be giving to God. Verse 13, in offering this service you provide to these people that you glorify God by actually doing what your acknowledgement of the good news or gospel of the Messiah requires. Namely, and what is the acknowledgement of the good news of the gospel requires? The good news of the Messiah requires. 
namely sharing generously with them and with everyone, not just with believers but with everyone else. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, they will feel a strong affection for you because of how gracious God has been to you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. All right, so that's the importance of charity. And uh, this program is a little short today, but the reason why I have to uh, visit some fellow believers uh, in my area. So uh, may God bless and keep you. And uh, God willing, I'll be available next week. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.